0: Well, I do hope you uh, picked up a a copy of the uh, sermon notes as you were coming in. Uh, You'll notice as we are moving into the uh, new year, I thought it would be appropriate to bring uh, a message, as you see, entitled, Conquering the Worries of the New Year. Uh, We are all aware that we live in a very uncertain world, and we also realize as believers, uh, we are not immune uh, from adversity. Uh, from trials, from uh, injustice, from uh, sickness, from loss, uh, tragedy. And of course, realizing that and not knowing what the future holds often can create uh, great anxiety when we face various circumstances or situations, or we're fearful that we may uh, experience those. So I thought it would be uh, hopefully uh, very edifying. Uh, to share this message on uh, anxiety and worry and hopefully how to uh, conquer this issue of worry that we would know trust and faith in God and as we put our faith in God to replace that worry just with a very, very precious peace, the peace of God to find rest in Him. So just follow uh, right uh, through with your uh, sermon. Uh, notes. I trust this will be a very uh, practical message, especially the uh, uh, latter half of the message on the back side where we'll, we'll look at the very practical uh, points that we need to follow truths to know victory in this area. But look at uh, the definition of worry there, that very first part of your sermon notes. Uh, the word worry uh, in our English Bibles is neo in the Greek. And that word literally means to divide or to distract. So we could define worry, that next sentence, worry is simply concern. Concern over what might or might not happen in the future, which distracts me from seeing the reality of God in the present. That is what worry is. It's when I become so concerned about what might or might not happen in the future, something I have no control over right now, that I just can't see the reality of God in the present. And, uh, I, and as a result of that, uh, I just fall into uh, unbelief, and often despair, discouragement, and uh, great fear as I consider the uh, possibilities that may be confronting me in the future. Then that very last sentence there, worry, actually is the perversion of the legitimate God-given emotion of concern. In other words, God created us as human beings with the ability to become concerned when we confront various problems or challenges or issues. And the reason He created us with the ability to become concerned he wanted that concern, that emotion to motivate us to seek God in attacking and solving the problems and challenges that we face in life. That is how God desired concern to work. That concern, that emotion would motivate us to look to God uh, to find His grace in attacking and solving our problems. But what do we do in worry? We don't look to God, we internalize Uh, that emotion uh, where we get eaten up with, uh, again, that fear and that anxiety. And this will become clearer as we look at these five uh, characteristics of worry. Uh, The next part of your sermon notes that there. And I think we'll all be able to identify with this because I think we would all admit uh, we struggle with this issue of worry and anxiety, maybe to varying degrees, maybe others worse uh, than some Uh, but we all find this a great struggle and challenge in our lives. So the first characteristic of worry is viewing my circumstances as a human impossibility instead of a divine opportunity. Viewing my circumstances as a human impossibility instead of a divine opportunity. If you go to Hebrews chapter 11, most of you are familiar with that chapter. Uh, That is where God... uh, puts all those Old Testament saints in there in his hall of fame of faith. And the one uh, truth that you discover in Hebrews 11 is that God often allows his child to encounter circumstances that from a human perspective, this just seems like it's an impossibility. And uh, there's just there's no, no way to get through this or, or to get... To get out of this, and of course, the reason he allows us to go through that, he wants us to look to him. He wants us to see that this is an opportunity to put our trust in God. This is an opportunity for God to demonstrate His grace and strength, and uh, and His uh, power in my life, so that He will get the glory, so that He will teach me. Uh, to lean on him, to teach me my dependence upon him, how desperate I am for him. And in that dependency, in that desperation, to develop a tremendous intimacy with him. And in that intimacy, know that peace and rest that only he can give in the midst of very, very difficult uh, circumstances. So that first characteristic of worry is instead of looking to God and seeing this as an opportunity for God to demonstrate himself in my life, to draw me deeper in my walk and my trust with Him, I just focus on the situation, the circumstances, and the more I do, I just see a greater and greater impossibility, and I become overwhelmed with this and fall not all, often only into anxiety, but depression and discouragement where everything is just gloom and doom, which leads us right to our, the second characteristic, which is very closely related, and that is focusing on the size of my problem instead of the size of my God. In other words, when I don't use that emotion of concern as God intended it to be used to cause me to look to him and instead I focus on my problem, that problem just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and I become overwhelmed by it all. A great great example of this is the children of Israel, Israel at the at Kadesh Barnea. You remember God delivered them from bondage, from slavery in Egypt. His intention was uh, to take them into His uh, promised land, but of course, there was going to be a challenge. As they crossed the Jordan River into the promised land, they were going to be confronted with uh, with enemies, the enemies of God, and they would have to encounter many battles and many wars to be able to conquer the land and to possess it. And you remember uh, Moses sent out the spies, and the spies came back with their report. And you remember... Uh, Joshua Joshua and Caleb of course were the only two spies that really put their trust and confidence in God and the other ten spies they said oh yes the land is everything God said it is it is filled with milk and honey It, it is just magnificent the only problem is the folks there that are residing there now we just can't conquer them and they actually make this statement it says all the people whom we saw in it were men, men of great size, and we became like grasshoppers in our own sight. In other words, they looked at the opposing forces that they would have to confront, and they just saw that as an insurmountable problem. And the more they focused on them, the bigger and the bigger and bigger that became, and the smaller and smaller they uh, became. Now, uh, if you have your Bibles, please turn to Hebrews 3. I, I, I want to point out something very, very important. Hebrews 3 is the New Testament commentary on what happened at Kadesh Barnea, the very thing we're just talking about. The New Testament commentary on when they were right at the brink of taking that step of faith and obedience into the promised land to know God's blessing, but failed to do so because of their unbelief, as they they were just paralyzed by their fear and anxiety as they saw uh, their enemies being so huge and themselves so small in comparison, and that they would just be squashed under their feet like a, like a grasshopper, like an, like an insect. But I want you to see God's commentary on this. Hebrews chapter 3, let's begin reading at verse 7. It says, Therefore, uh, just as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear His voice, Do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me. And he's referring back to Kadesh Barnea, what we were just talking about. As in the day of trial in the wilderness where your fathers tried me by testing me and saw my works for 40 years therefore I was angry with this generation and said they always go astray in their heart and they do not know my ways as I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest because of their unwillingness to trust God he says you want anxiety then I'll let you live in that anxiety the rest of your life and they did so wandering in the wilderness for 40 years as God's discipline on their life but look at the very next Verse. Take care, brethren, that there not be in any of you. Now he's speaking to the contemporary audience. He's speaking to us. And he says, Take care, brethren, that there not be in any of you what? An evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. A little bit further down, that latter part of verse 13, today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Uh, Look a little bit further down in verse 15. While I said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me. Look at verse 16. For who provoked him when they uh, had heard Indeed, did not all those who came out of Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? But to those who were disobedient, so we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. And then chapter 4, verse 1, therefore, now he's applying it to us, let us fear If while a promise remains of entering His rest, any of you may seem to have come short of it. For indeed, we have had good news preached to us just as they also, but the word they heard did not profit them. Why? Because it was not united by faith in those who heard it. Here's a simple point I want to make. And this is one of the biggest things we need to embrace in talking about worry that we're so often unwilling to do so. From God's perspective, worry is sin. Notice how God characterized worry and anxiety when it comes to the point where it paralyzes you to put your trust in God and to step out in obedience. He called it hardness of heart. He called it sin. He called it an evil, unbelieving heart. And one of the major reasons we don't get victory in this area is because we minimize worry. As if it's just a flaw. If it is just a weakness. But you need to see from God's perspective, he says when you succumb to anxiety and worry and fail to put your trust in me, that is sin. Because from God's perspective, this is exactly what you're saying. You're saying, God, you know, thank you for your word really appreciate that you've given it to us uh, for uh, encouragement and direction and strength and uh, blessing and, and you know uh, as I read your word I, I know you meant really well by what you have given us but you know I just don't think you can pull it off that's exactly what we're saying that's exactly what we're saying when we refuse to trust God and instead focus on the problem, becoming overwhelmed with anxiety and depression. So the first thing that we need to do if we're ever going to overcome worry and anxiety is to be willing to acknowledge, God, yes, this is sin, and forgive me for it. And not minimize it, not justify it, that this is just the way I am, this is my personality, or whatever it might be. No, God, at the root of my anxiety is a heart of unbelief, that is refusing to put its trust and faith in you, and I'm doing the same thing the Israelites did in the wilderness, who although they had God's Word, they did not unite that Word with faith to step out in obedience. So forgive me, and have mercy on me, and don't let me wander for the next 40 years in the wilderness. You know, I want your correction in my life. I want to know your power in overcoming uh, this this issue. Uh, And then very, very quickly, look at the third, fourth, and fifth characteristics of worry. Uh, The third, complaining about my inability instead of trusting God's ability. Complaining about my inability instead of trusting God's ability. In other words, the bigger, the bigger the problem gets. The greater my, I get overwhelmed with the situation, and I just begin complaining about the situation, how it's beyond my uh, ability to cope with it, to uh, deal with it, and 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 folks, and you know I've been there as well, so I'm you know it's pointing back at me. Worriers find it easier to complain about their problems than to work on solutions. Uh, worriers tend to be excessive talkers you said well i have a problem with worry but i don't do excessive talking no you do you talk to yourself and uh and 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 you just get overwhelmed and that is one of the characteristics of, of people that struggle with worry and anxiety they're excessive talkers and again it may not be to other people often it is but even to yourself where you're just there's always that negativity that pessimism uh, uh, about life because you, you, you're, you're so overwhelmed by the size of the problem and your inability that, again, all becomes gloom and doom. And uh, just a lot, of, a lot of talk, but really no motion, nothing going forward, and, uh, of course, not getting to God to find His guidance and direction and solution, which, of course, leads you to the fourth thing, relo- relying on human manipulation instead of divine intervention. Relying on human manipulation instead of divine intervention. You take matters into your own hands and you try to manipulate the situation. You try to manipulate people in the situation. You develop a habit of telling little lies. Uh, to manipulate the situation and to try to get the outcome that you desire, whatever it might be, instead of putting your confidence and your trust to, for God to intervene in your situation and give you the guidance and the victory that you need. And then the fifth thing, complaining about what I do not possess instead of thanking God for what He's provided. So worry fuels ingratitude in the human heart. Uh, as we uh, a warriors they focus on their problems as they focus on their inabilities as all becomes gloom and doom uh it's it's always focusing on what they don't have with what 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 they need and don't possess and which which makes them blind uh to what god has given and his wonderful provision in their lives so just look back over those five points and and i don't want you to miss the fact What God is attempting to do in your life when you confront difficult circumstances that could overwhelm you in anxiety. What God wants you to do is say, no, wait a minute, this circumstance first is an opportunity for God to demonstrate His power to teach me to lean on Him, to trust in, in Him. And God wants me, instead of looking at the problem, look at what? At Him, how big my God is, and that there's nothing too great for Him, nothing impossible for Him. And then that third point, instead of looking to my ability, look to God's ability, for His strength to be perfected in my weakness, and instead of relying on my ways and my manipulation to put my trust in God, And instead of complaining about what I do not possess, thank God for what I do possess. Surrender that to God, trusting as I do, God will make up the difference. And that's what we call grace. Amen? Amen. And that's what God wants to do in each and every one of our lives uh, instead of going in the other direction. Very, very quickly, and we'll do this quickly, look at the consequences of worry. The consequences of worry. Seven of them. First, uh, and this is taken from Matthew chapter 6. Uh, probably the greatest discourse on anxiety and worry than anywhere else in the Bible. Uh, and this is Jesus speaking himself. And the first thing that Jesus says is that worry divides my allegiance to God. Uh, most of us uh, have seen this statement, but we take it out of its context. In the context, Jesus is addressing worry and anxiety, and he says no man, no one or no man can serve two masters. In other words... If you're struggling with worry, the first thing you need to realize, it is a clear indication that you're not trusting in God alone. For joy, peace, fulfillment. You're trusting in God and something else. You're holding on to some other security blanket. And what happens, that gets threatened. And when that gets threatened, you become very, very anxious and what Jesus is saying, you need to recognize that. You need to recognize if you're struggling with anxiety, you need to search your heart. Because your heart's divided. You're not trusting in me alone. You're not believing that I'm enough in your life. You think you need your spouse, or you think you need your children, or you think you need your job, or you think you need this level of income, or whatever it might be, you know, I, I need that. And if I don't have that, then I can't make it. And God says, no, I want you to trust in me and me alone. So if you struggle with worry, examine your heart. Where is it divided? What are you putting your trust in for joy and happiness apart from God? And surrender that to God. Truly surrender that to God and look to God alone to be enough. Look at the second characteristic. Worry keeps me from enjoying what I have. We've already alluded to this. Worry keeps me from enjoying what I have. Jesus said, is not life more than food in the body than clothing? See, in other words, in worry you become so focused on what you do not have, you can't enjoy what God has provided. Look at the third uh, consequence of worry. Worry makes me forget my worth. Jesus in this passage says, are you not worth much more than they? In the context, he's talking about the birds of the air. He says, look at the birds of the air. Look at the little sparrows that fly about all over the world, millions of them. And he says, I I care for them. They can't can't even light on the ground without my knowledge, without my awareness. And goodness gracious, if, if I care like that for even the birds of the air, and I meet their needs, how much more do you think I'm going to care for those who have been redeemed by the blood of my Son?" And see, a person that gets eaten up with anxiety and worry, they totally can't see their worth in the eyes of God, how valuable they are to God, how much God loves them. And again, like I said, it's not just anxiety, but they fall into depression. This wears on them. Look at the next thing. Number four worry is completely useless, and it is useless. Just examine your own life. What has worry ever produced in your life? In terms of good and benefit. Uh, Jesus said in verse 27, Can any of you, however much he worries, make himself even a few inches taller? And you can put anything there. Worry doesn't produce anything. It It just produces a lot of heartache. Number five, worry weakens my faith. He says, oh, men of little faith, and without faith it's impossible to please God. That takes us to the sixth point. Worry is characteristic of the heathen. Jesus said, hey, why be like the heathen? For they take pride in all these things, and they are deeply concerned about them. In other words, Jesus is saying, you know, a child of God can walk in life as if they're an unbeliever. Because when you get up in, eaten up with anxiety, when you're walking in unbelief, refusing to trust me, not stepping out and obeying me, there's really no difference between you, pragmatically, than, than an unbeliever. And he's saying, this should be a great reproach on you. This should be bring great shame on you and motivate you to turn to me, to get this thing turned around where you honor me with your faith, you honor me with your trust, because I'm worthy of that trust, I'm worthy of that faith, and you can uh, count on me. I've said many times, uh, I can't think of anything that would more pain and grieve my heart than one of my children looking in my face and saying, Dad, I just don't think I can trust you anymore. And that's exactly what we're saying to God when we succumb to worry and anxiety. That's what He sees. His child is saying, you know, I just don't think I can trust you. And that pains him. That hurts him. That grieves him. And then look at that seventh truth. Worry puts my focus so much uh, to tomorrow's uncertainties that I neglect today's responsibilities. It's one of the most devastating effects of worry that I become so focused on tomorrow's uncertainties and I'm so consumed by that, I have no energy to deal with today's responsibilities. And then what happens? Things just begin to pile up. And now you've got this mountain of work that, that you're behind in because you've been so anxious, you haven't been able to think straight. And you haven't really been able to engage yourself in the responsibilities that God has given you today. I love this quote by Corey Tenboom. It's very, very true. She says, worry does not empty tomorrow of sorrows. It empties today of strength. And that's very, very true. Empties today of strength. Now, this is the heart of the message right here. How to bury worry before worry buries you. And... Uh, the primary passage we're going to look at is uh, Philippians 4. I gave you the verses. I didn't tell you where it's found, uh, but that is uh, what you have uh, written in your notes there uh, is Philippians 4, verses 4 through 9, so uh, follow along with me as we uh, read these uh, verses, and you'll notice in, uh, in caps, uh, I have five phrases found in these verses, and those five phrases are going to comprise the next five points in your sermon notes, which are the five steps we need to take in obedience to God. Uh, You know, it's not some magical formula. We're just laying out what God's Word tells us we need to do in terms of trust and obedience to bury worry before it buries us. So uh, follow along as we read this. Rejoice in the Lord always, again, and I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. So now the next five points in your sermon notes. And the, 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 this is God's truth in terms of overcoming, bearing worry before it buries you, to rejoice in the Lord always. Let your gentle spirit be known to men. Let your request be known to God to dwell on these things and then to practice these things. So look at that first point, rejoice in the Lord always. And I like, he knows us. He knows our human hearts and our struggle. He feels a little need to repeat this. And he says what? Again, I will say, rejoice. In other words, don't miss this. Rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. Uh, And look at the application in your sermon notes, that next uh, statement. When circumstances concern you, develop the habit of immediately turning to God by making a conscious choice to rejoice in God's presence, God's promises, and God's providence. So when circumstances concern you, when you find worry and anxiety beginning to creep into your soul because of maybe some circumstance you're facing or some uncertainty in the future that's really troubling you. The first, you want to develop that. Now notice, you're either going to do this or you're not going to do it. You're either going to obey at this point or you're going to disobey at this point. You're either going to believe or you're going to fall into unbelief at this point. The choice is yours. And the first step in bearing worry before it buries you is to develop a habit. Encircle that word, a habit. This is something that you want to do over and over and over again. You might be dealing with a situation that's so difficult and the struggle is so great. You're going to have to practice this first step maybe 30 times in, in a single day. That you, you, you're just going to make a determination. I'm not going to get overcome with anxiety and worry. When that begins to creep in my soul, I'm going to immediately turn to God. I'm going to develop this habit in my life. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn to God by, again, making a conscious choice. And I'm going to do something, and I'm going to do something with my mouth. Or I in, maybe in, out in public, at least in my, in my mind. I'm going to turn to God. And I'm going to direct my thoughts to God, and I'm going to direct my thoughts to God and my voice to God in such a way that I'm going to rejoice. And I'm going to rejoice first at God's, in God's presence. I don't know how many of you were at the Christmas Eve service. We had a marvelous Christmas Eve service, a very beautiful service, I thought very moving, very, very touching, but in the Lord's Supper devotional, I made just three statements uh, related to our relationship with God that we should find great comfort in, and, and they were this. And it relates perfectly to this fact that we're to rejoice in God's presence. God is with me, God is in me, and God is for me. So, I find this anxiety we're beginning to grab, put its grips on me, and I said, nope. I'm turning to God. God, thank you. Thank you that right where I'm at, what I'm dealing with right now, you're with me. we just sang Emmanuel. It's a whole purpose of Christmas. Not only Jesus coming into this world, but he came into this world that he might save us for our sins, that he could take up what? Residence in our hearts. So you're with me because you're in me, and you can't get any closer than that. There's nothing that I will ever walk through in life, and you won't be with me because you are in me. What comfort. And not only is the one with me in me, but that one with me and in me is for me. Uh, Take your Bibles real quick. Just turn over to Romans 8, just to encourage you. We alluded to this in the Lord's Supper service the other night, but if you were there, good to emphasize again. Verse 31, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, what? Who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for over for us all, how will we not also with him freely give us all things? you understand what he's saying? He says, I walk through life, the one who's with me is in me, and that one in me is for me. And the one that is for me is the one that went to the cross for me. And if God didn't spare his son for Andy Merritt, if he loves me that much, why would I ever doubt that he's going to freely give me anything that I need to confront the adversities and trials of life? That's it in a nutshell. Do I really believe? See, and that's why it gives me another opportunity to express why worry is so serious. It gets right at the heart of the gospel right at the heart of the cross. Because when I just succumb to worry and anxiety, I'm really saying that really didn't affect anything. So God's saying, what shall we say to this? God, man, if God's for me, who can be against me? Because goodness gracious, God didn't even spare his own son for Andy Merritt. He loves me that much. And so I can count on Him to give me anything and everything I need to get through this situation. And then and then, then uh, look at um, uh, verse 35. Who, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? In other words, there's nothing you will confront in your life as a child of God that will separate you from the love of God. And then verse 37, so, but in all these things, notice this emphasis on all these things, the all things of life, in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer. How? Through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So again, I'm walking through life Oh, I, I, that, I, I'm, I'm human. We're all human. We're frail. We're weak. And I find that worry, anxiety creeping in. I want to develop a habit. I immediately, conscious decision, turn to God. Thank you, God. You're with me because you're in me and you're for me. And I don't know what the outcome is going to be, but I'm going to rejoice in you because I can trust you. And not only God's presence, but God's promises. All the promises that He's given us. In other words, you know, going back to Hebrews 11. We talked about this a few years ago. We, we went through the entire book, verse by verse. And when we came to Hebrews 11, we said what you basically see there is that God does allow us to hit those situations that are very, very difficult where we have a choice. Am I going to view this as a human impossibility, and again, succumb to unbelief, anxiety, to worry, or, I, or am I going to say it's impossible for God to break His promises? So where am I going to light? Human impossibility or divine impossibility for Him to break His promises? So as I rejoice in His presence, I rejoice in the promises that He's given me, that I can trust Him. I'll give you a great example. It's one of my favorite books in the entire Bible, and you probably know so because I often allude to it at various times, but the little book of Habakkuk, great, 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 and it fits wonderful right here. Here's a prophet who's really struggling. We won't go into the details. It's It's a magnificent little book. It's a prophet struggling, bottom line, with the uncertainties of the future. I mean, this guy is messed up. He's anxious. He's worried for the nation because he's seeing this Babylonian empire with its magnificent force, great world power, about to invade. And he doesn't know what the future holds. He doesn't know what the future holds for himself. And he's struggling. I mean, and at least he's honest because he does something that very few of us do. We'll... we'll, get eaten up with anxiety inside, we'll complain to everybody around us, but at least he had the guts to take his complaint right to God. I mean, he took it right to God. He said, God, I don't get you. I mean, read it. It, I mean, it's strong. He says, God, I don't think you're fair. I don't think you care. And he's struggling. So you go to chapter 2, God basically answers him. And as I've shared many times from this pulpit, In most of life's trials and difficulties, God doesn't give us explanations. He gives us promises. And the reason He does that is because He's committed to developing our relationship with Him, to developing our trust and faith in Him. And that's why He doesn't give us all the answers. That's why He doesn't give us explanations. He says, Can you trust me without an explanation? And that's what He does with Habakkuk He gives Him three promises. He says in verse 4, chapter 2, Habakkuk, the just will live by faith. Will you believe me, Habakkuk? Although you can't trace my hand right now, you're very perplexed with the pain. Are you willing to trust me even in the perplexity, even in the pain? And then you go down to chapter of verse 14. He says, here's a promise, Habakkuk. You don't know what the... You don't know what the future holds and it does look dark and it does look pessimistic and it does look very gloomy but I give you this certainty you can nail it down this earth will be filled with my glory and what he's saying is the outcome is is certain I win or God wins and so therefore Habakkuk don't you think the best place for you to do would be stay would be at my side trusting me Placing your confidence in me. And then the very last verse of the chapter is a very, very precious one. He says, He says, Habakkuk, would you just be silent? Would you just shut your mouth and realize that I'm still on the throne? And it's, and it's a beautiful, that, that that verse is very beautiful. In the Hebrew text, the, 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 um, the, the Hebrew language is thought of a parent comforting a child. It's not God being rude or angry with Habakkuk. It's, it's just sort of this connotation. Habakkuk. Hush. Hush. It's okay. I'm with you. I'm for you. Trust me, because the, in the end, the outcome is going to be good. Because everything I do is good. It re- will resound for my greater glory and your greater good and the good of my people. I'm on the throne. Trust me. So, you rejoice in God's presence, you rejoice in God's promises, and you rejoice in God's providence. And what I mean by God's providence is, God leads us in very mysterious ways. You, you can't put God in a box. So it comes down, can I really rejoice in Romans 8.28 that God causes what? All things to work together for my good. Not that God causes everything that happens. He doesn't. There's a lot that happens in this world that God never intended. Because God is good, He hates evil. But He gives you, as a child of God, this guarantee. I won't let anything happen in your life, good or bad, unless I know I can eventually work it for your good and my greater glory. Will you believe me? Will you trust me? So that's what I mean by deliberately turning to God and rejoicing. Rejoice in His presence. Rejoice in His promises. Rejoice in His providence. Look at this next point. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. It's in verse 5. That word gentle is an interesting word. It, it's not the, uh, the word for uh, meekness. It, the word, it's very difficult to translate, but it, it means like to be gracious. It means to be reasonable. It, it's, it's forbearance. It's a word that's used as we relate to other, other people. And so here's the point of application here. When conflicts... Create anxiety and tension, and often that is at the heart of our anxiety and tension conflicts with other people. Show forbearance to others by surrendering to God your rights and expectations, and rely on God's power to show forgiveness and kindness. So, show forbearance to others by surrendering to God your rights. And your expectations in this relationship, or whatever it might be, with this individual. And then rely on God's power to show forgiveness and kindness. See, you first got your circumstances, and that's sort of what we talked about in that first point. But in those circumstances, it even complicates things because there's people in those circumstances. And you're never going to overcome worry and anxiety until you get this truth down right here. Here it is. Again, God's in control. God will never allow a person to come into your life that is not His gift to you to give you the opportunity to learn to love like Christ loved. And the more difficult the person, the greater the opportunity to learn to love as Christ loved. And that's the point here. In other words... The first thing is what? Turn to God. Rejoice in Him. His presence, His promises, His providence. And then, the next thing I want to do, I want to look at what I'm dealing with and who are the people related to this. And as I identify those people, instead of trying to run, retreat, throw something at them, curse at them, smack them in the face, whatever it might be, I say, God... Thank you for this individual or these individuals. Thank you that they're gifts in my life to teach me to love like Christ loved. Lord, what do you want to teach me through my situation with this person or people? Don't let me miss the lesson that you have for me. Don't let me fall so much in my own selfishness and self to get what I want. That I miss the lesson you have for me. And that's never going to happen until you release your rights and expectations. God, I give you my rights. I give you my expectations of this person or these individuals in this particular situation. And, and, and I want, I, I'm gonna I, I, I can't do it. I'm gonna rely on you that you'll give me the internal fortitude and strength to show forgiveness and to show kindness. And folks, I've been in the ministry long enough now. This is a tough issue right here. But I'll be very, very honest with you. Uh, It's not that we can't. It's that we will not. You know, when when I find a person bucking at the issue of forgiveness or showing kindness to a very difficult person, the issue is not not that you cannot. No, God's given you the resources in Jesus Christ is that you will not. And so... What it comes down to is this matter of surrender. You're never going to know peace apart from surrender. Apart from surrender to God. So it means i got to surrender my rights. i got to surrender my expectations. That he's teaching me to be a servant. As Christ was a servant. And so Lord give me the grace. As I surrender my rights and expectations to you. Now to be able to forgive. And to show your kindness to others. Look at the third point. Let your request Be known to God. And and the thing that I want to emphasize here, there's so much that could be said about verse 6 where it says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving let your request be known to God. But the thing I want to emphasize is that point. When in need, here's the next point in your notes. When in need, refused... To succumb to anxiety by continually, again, we're back to this habit. We're back to a practice, something you either do or you don't do. It's a choice that you make, but you, you continually go to God in prayer in a spirit of, here's the key, thanksgiving. I think that's the key to that, 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 that verse right there. In a spirit of thanksgiving. Uh, in other words, we're to go to God in a particular attitude, and here it is. And folks, this is a challenge. God's been working overtime to try to teach Andy Merritt this. I have not arrived. Uh, I I think I'm making some progress over the last few years, but I'm not even close. But, but, But here it is. We often, let me put it this way. Prayer itself often becomes just another exercise in anxiety and worry. And the reason for that is we go to God in prayer thinking we know what would be best in this situation. In other words, we go to God in prayer seeking a particular outcome in this situation. Now, please understand me. I'm not saying there's anything wrong by going to God. And asking him for particular outcomes as you pray for yourself, as you pray for loved ones, when we pray for others. But it needs to be done with the right attitude, with the right attitude of thanksgiving. And what I mean, it comes down to this for me. I'm going to God in prayer about this particular situation or these individuals, but I go with the attitude here it is. The one. Who loves me most knows what is best for me. So I don't have to get all anxious about outcomes. I may not get the outcome that I seek. And if I don't, I recognize what? God is just wiser than I am. He knows what I need better than I know. He knows what others need. He knows what my loved ones need. So I think that's the key here. And that's why he said, I think he says in the next verse, and the promise is in the peace of God. If you do this, a peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So I go to God as I, as I wrestle with these circumstances, as I wrestle with this issue of anxiety, and I say, I'm not going to succumb to this emotion. I'm going to keep my eyes on God, rejoicing on Him surrendering my life to him to learn the lessons that he has for me, and I'm going to trust that the one who loves me most, knows what is best for me, so I don't have to get all turned up about getting a particular outcome. I can leave that to God. Amen? I can leave that to God. Now, notice what that does. Here's the most beautiful thing about it all. If I can really leave the outcome in God's hands, trusting Him, now I'm finally free to focus on Him. Getting to know Him. Getting to love Him. Experiencing His love for me. Being taken deeper into an intimacy with Him. Look at the fourth truth. Dwell on these things. Verse 8. What are the things that we're talking about? Look at verse 8. You see it printed out there up earlier in your notes. Finally, brethren, notice, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's any excellence, if anything worthy of praise, notice, anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. And here's the point. Get it down in your notes. Replace worried thoughts with worthy thoughts by meditating on Scripture. Replace worried thoughts with worthy thoughts by meditating on Scripture. In other words, when I I find I'm being attacked by anxiety, by worry, by, 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 by panic, Okay, I'm under attack. Where do I want to go? I want to get to God. And the ammunition that he's given me to fight that off is his word, is his truth. So I take my mind off the problem, off the issue, and I put them on his word to find strength, to find comfort there. And you've heard me share this many times from the pulpit. It begins by memorizing scripture and don't get hung up with that. You say, Well, I can't memorize. I think you can memorize, but don't even get hung up on that. Just get in a passage and begin to meditate over that, begin to observe it. What is it saying? Where the, what promises are, are in this portion of Scripture for me? What do I learn about God in this portion of Scripture? And then as you, as you memorize it or you, you begin to ponder it and you probe it and you're observing it and you're looking at it, then you ask, you have to personalize it. Well, what are the implications on my life? How would, how would this passage be lived out in my life? Is there a, a promise that I'm, I'm, I'm to trust God for? Is there some area of praise for who God is or what He's done for? Is there something I need to correct in my life from this passage? Some area of repentance. It, it could be a million different things. So you, you, you focus on the passage, and then, and then you ask yourself, okay, What's in this for me? How can I personalize this? What are the implications? And then the next step is what? To actualize it, to apply it, to step out in obedience and obey what you're seeing there. If, 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 you know, uh, you all got your devices, right? Start using those devices for something good. I mean, you know, uh, you have that on you. I mean, now y'all know I'm an ignoramus when it comes to technology. For the, those of you that do not know, your pastor does not even own a cell phone. And I never planned to own a cell phone. And uh, I have nothing, you know, I'm not saying there's anything evil in and of itself, not at all. Just for me, I find them too too distracting. And uh, But but use them for good. I mean, program those, those phones when you're walking through life, I mean, And you can pull that thing out and pull up a scripture passage that you're you're looking at where, again, you're turning your mind off the anxiety, off the problem and putting it on God. That's what we're talking about here. And then the fifth thing, he says, practice these things. And what's he talking about? Look at verse 9 in its entirety. The things you have learned, this is Paul speaking to the churches of Christians at Philippi. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me practice these things and the god of peace will be with you and so here's the application look get it down in your notes be deliberate again notice that word being deliberate being conscious it's something you got to do you're going to do it or not going to do it be deliberate to focus on godly examples read christian writings and listen to biblical teachings and sermons, and then practice the lessons learned. Don't be just a hearer of God's Word. Be a doer of God's Word. But be deliberate in your life. Look for godly examples. Don't run with those that are just going to take you down further in your worry and anxiety, and you have a pity party together. That's what we typically do. So much of what we call counseling today is nothing but pity parties. No, you want, you, you want to find a godly example that has wrestled with some of these things. that They haven't arrived, but they've made progress. They're, they're someone you can, you can emulate because they, are, they have an example that is worth following. So look for those people in, in your life. Develop those people in your life. And then read Christian writings. Take the time to read and to listen to biblical teachings and sermons and then practice the lessons learn. And that's how you bury worry before it buries you. But notice again, folks, these are practical steps that we must take in trust and obedience to God. And we can take these steps because the one who's with us is in us to give us that power. All that we need for life and godliness we already possess. There's nothing that you lack. It's a matter of Putting your confidence in God, and as you do, yes, I can rejoice in any and all circumstances. I can rejoice in God's presence, in His promises, and His prophets. I can develop that habit. The moment concern begins to creep in, I turn to God and rejoice. I examine the situation. Who are the people in this situation with me? Releasing my rights and expectations that, God, you want, their, your gifts to me to teach me to love to learn forgiveness, to learn kindness, and then teach me to immediately, continually go to you in prayer in an attitude of thanksgiving, knowing that I can give you the outcome because the one who loves me most knows what is best for me. Therefore, I can focus on you and put my trust and confidence in you and then dwell on these things. Turn from the worried thoughts to worthy thoughts. Turn from the worry, the anxiety, the Scripture. You cannot think on two things at the same time. You're not wired that way. Praise God He wired us that way, that you cannot do that. So that's why your thought life is your responsibility. You may not can stop the birds from flying over your head, but you can sure stop them from building a nest in your hair. And that applies to this message. Yes, we'll be tempted with with anxious thoughts, even evil thoughts. Uh, vile thought to time. And that in itself is not sin. It demonstrates we're sinners in need of God's, God's grace and renewing and reviving. But the key is, how do I respond when that happens? And the way God wants me to respond is to immediately turn away from that, nip it in the bud immediately, and turn and meditate on the Scriptures. Probe, ponder, observe those Scriptures, see the implications. It's applications to my life, and then practice. In other words, you hear what Paul is saying, don't you? Okay, he said, you're struggling in your Christian life, whether it's anxiety or whatever it might be. Think of any realm in life. What do you typically do? You look for the expert in the field. Whether it's in any area of work or employment or athletics, coaching, you know, you're looking for people that have lived lives worthy of emulation. And you want to learn from them. And you want to practice the things that they can teach you. You want to get involved in Christian writings and biographies. And some of the great saints of old. Reading their stuff. Gleaning from their stuff. Practicing what they teach. And then of course exposing yourself to Bible studies. And discipleship groups. And teachings and sermons. And that's why fellowship with God's people is so important. Whether it's in the corporate gathering like this. Or small groups, and then let me just end with this it's something that's always meant um, a lot a lot to me um, I'll, I'll briefly give you the uh, background. many of you have heard this uh, but uh, but I'll be very very brief uh, when Carissa was born, uh, you know we did not discover she was Down syndrome until after her birth, and uh, we, we really didn't know re- even right there at the birth. They, there were some issues with her. They had to rush her off to the high-risk nursery. Um, uh, we were in the room. Many of you all remember Dr. David Roberts, uh, OBGYN. That was a, a longtime member here. He, he delivered Chris. And uh, it was after a little while, he came back in the room. And we, we thought it was odd when he walked in the room. He had Chris in his arms, wrapped up. And, uh, and Kathy was laying on the bed. I was in a chair. Right next to the bed, he laid crystal right between us, gently took off the blanket, and he just simply said, "Uh, we believe your child has Down syndrome. And Kathy and I will both tell you, and it was a God thing. This is as big a God thing as Kathy and I have ever experienced. The moment he said those words, our hearts were literally flooded with joy. We never knew a second of grief or difficulty in accepting the diagnosis. We embraced her as a gift as we did all the other nine children, previous nine children, and we were just as delighted as delighted could be. Well, she had to stay in the hospital for about a week. There were some, there were some issues that they were dealing with, and I, was, I, had, I had been there all night. I was on a Saturday evening. I was leaving there for a Sunday morning to come to church, and as I was leaving the hospital, I got in the elevator, and the elevator not closed, and down the hall... I could tell were two adult women hand in hand coming together and it just sort of caught my eye and then it was very, very obvious that it was a mother and daughter and the daughter was an adult child that had some very, very severe physical and mental limitations. And right at that moment, fear gripped my heart about the future related to Carissa because I thought, see, she's the baby of 10, I thought, Andy Merritt's not a spring chicken any longer. Uh, how long will I be there for Carissa? And that—that that, it caught me holding. You know, how I might not always be there to hold Carissa's hand and to take. And I cannot tell you how gripped I was with anxiety. I came to church, came to the word service. Back then we had the middle pew, and that's where we always sat. And I sat down. And I was eaten up, totally distracted. I couldn't have told you what happened in that service, what we sang in that service, nothing about that service. I was so eaten up with anxiety and fear and worry about what the future held for my daughter. And then the choir got up to sing prior to the message. And never can remember the name of the song, but I wrote down, and many of you may probably do, but here's the simple chorus. Many things about tomorrow I don't seem to understand. But I know who holds tomorrow, and I know he holds my hand. That moment, I'm sitting right there, God spoke to my heart. He said, Andy, you may not be able to always hold Chris's hand, but I will never let her go. I will always take care of her. And folks, from that day on, I've had perfect peace about this little one's future going forward. Because I know God is good. And God will be faithful to His promises. And the one who knows, loves me most knows what is best. And the one who loves her most knows what is best. Amen? And that's the confidence that we all have going forward into 2019. God's with you, holding your hand. Even better than that, he's in you. And the one with you and in you, he's for you. And that should give us peace and confidence to put our trust in him.